All right, we're live. Sean, you look nice. We're both updating our studios. Looks like yours got done first. Yeah, sorry to uh, steal the show, but <laughs> we switched it already. So I don't know what I don't know what else to do. The grand reveal would have been cooler if we both did it at the same time, but whatever. Well, that's all right. It's yours isn't entirely done. Mine's gonna get mine's getting worked on this weekend, dude. So basically, for the listeners, we're making our studios look nice, whatever, and. It's like totally limiting my options for like my lifestyle. Like, <laughs> I, like I'm, I'm now thinking about this. I'm like, oh, shit, I need a bigger house so I could have like, uh, you know, a guest room as well as a podcasting room, uh, as well as like potential baby rooms. It's it's and like, what if you want to travel this freaking podcast? It's not easy to be a podcaster. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, like, poor me. I can't travel for two months at a time. <laughs> or you can just do it in both houses. Dude, I'm thinking about like my lifestyle and like where I want to live, which I've talked about a lot of, on here. Um, I don't know what to do. I I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's driving me mad. Yeah. By the way, we should do a episode that explains how we thought through when we when we do the the full studio when the when the whole thing's done. Like mine's like you know seventy percent done. Yours is zero percent done so far. When we're done, we should do an episode explaining you know how we thought about it how we pulled it, how we did it without a big headache, all the shit we bought, how much it all cost. Uh, we should do a full breakdown as a separate like video on YouTube. All right. I'm down. Yeah. We got to, and we'll pimp out the guy who did it, Kevin. Uh, yeah, but sure. yeah, we could do that. Okay, cool. Let's jump what in. Wanna, uh, what, what topics you got? You want to go first? Um, all right. I'll start off with something interesting. I want to give an award that I'm calling the Chad bro chill award to this guy named Eric Langan. Um, so listen to this guy's story. I just randomly came across this cause my, uh, my friend Alex showed it to me, but it's kind of like a, a true rag to riches American dream story. So hear me out. So this guy named Eric, he's, um, 21 years old and he starts dating this woman and she sees that, uh, her, her place of work is not exactly treating her respectfully. And he says, you know, where should this woman works? I think this is an interesting business. And I think if I created a business that treated my employees a little bit better, I think I could retain them better and build a better business. So he's 21 years old. Somehow he's accumulated all this, this these really nice baseball cards over the past 10 years of collecting. He takes them to a convention. He sells his baseball cards and he now has $44,000 in cash. And he goes, I'm going to go and start my business. And what is that business? It's a strip club. He was dating a stripper. And this guy, Eric, he, he takes well done. this. He, well done with the story. Enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he takes this company and he like buys, he has one strip club. He starts another. Eventually he takes it public. Yes. This is a publicly traded company that owns a bunch of strip clubs. And the symbol is Rick. It's just Rick. So now at this point, it's $800 million market cap. And it's basically a free cash flow, like a, a wonderful cash flowing. Yeah, a wonderfully cash flowing company. It, it's $800 million in market cap, does something like $300 million in revenue and like $80 million in cash flow. And it's kind of interesting because they basically buy mom and pop strip clubs, which is, I don't know if that's like an oxymoron, but <laughs> just pop and pop. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, you know, just like your, just like your standard, 
you know, local mom and pop strip club. He buys them for one or two times revenue, puts a little operational process in there. And he's also got a crazy clientele where guys like Drake and Pitbull and all these people like rap about his strip clubs, you know, and I want to be honest, I've only been to one strip club in my life. I went to one strip club ever. It was in Vegas like four years ago. Have you ever been to a strip club? Same story. I have actually a funny story with this. So we go to the, uh, for the first time to a strip club, I think 21 years old, maybe. And, um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I, I didn't know if this was the start of a, of a new hobby or if this was, you know, the start of a, of a bad day. And, and, and so we go, um, you know, in Vegas, there's the guys on the street who are like, boys looking handsome, you guys want, you know, free limo, free drinks. And you're like, yeah, no questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a good offer. I have no further questions. We get in this limo. We're like, hey, uh, do we get to choose where it goes? It's like, nah. So we're dumping you off at this like place five miles away, and you're gonna go into our establishment. And so we we get dropped off at this place. We're like, I guess we're at a strip club now. Like, wow. I guess we probably should have thought that one through. We go in, and it's it's four friends, and um, my buddy. I, I won't say their names, but uh, <laughs> so we go in, and I'll just tell you the characters there's me i'm the 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 group uh i'm like the jester i'm the i just i'm just there to make jokes and i'm like oh this is this is, i'm gonna thrive here there's gonna be so much so much funny material but i'm not the i'm not the one who's sort of the most i'm not the most prude i'm not the most kind of aggressive when it comes to 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 women there's one guy who's like the ladies man everybody this guy always gets all the girls and when we go to the strip club, we're just sort of expecting him to take the lead. It's like, yo, ball's in your court here. You you tell us, you're the man, you tell us boys what to do. And then we have one guy who's been in a relationship for like 95 years, just got out, uh, looks like a dad. And we were like, you know, okay, you just stay at the back. You're, you're not going to know what to do here. You, you've been in a relationship for 95 years. We walk in and within two minutes, we're like, hey, where'd, dad, where'd the dad go? Like, he's gone. And we see him while we were nervously just like ordering drinks at the bar, like as if that's why we came to the strip club was like to go get a drink at the bar. Uh, and we're using the free coupons the guy gave us up from the street. Uh, we're like trying to tear him and be like, does this count for <laughs> two of any drink? And like, we're like, what's well, a spirit technically? And like, you know, because they're like, it's not applies to any spirits. And then we're like, where'd he go? And then we see him holding hands with a stripper, walk into the back. <laughs> and we're like, what the? we're like the back we can't even see him anymore we don't know what the, like how does he know what to do back there uh we were all just like you know befuddled but now we're all like sort of like challenged it's like okay challenge accepted uh we don't see this guy for like 45 minutes so we let 15 minutes go by we assume he's gonna come back this guy's nowhere to be found and we're like what is going on what is he doing back there and then so we kind of get nervous we go back uh, and so each of us Picks a, a stripper and we all we each go to the back. So ladies man goes with the you know some super hot like stripper. in the same room. No, we don't know. You just go behind this curtain. Now we don't know. I don't know where my friend is. I don't know if I'll ever see him again. So ladies man takes the hottest stripper goes in the back. Spoiler: He ends up falling in love with her. He literally falls in love with the stripper. He's like, dude, she's the best. And like he's like, but he's like, no, it's not about her looks. Like her heart was so pure. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he, he fell in love. That's what happened to him that night. 
I go back with one. Now they've got and, three kids. And I'm like, so how does this work here? I got questions. You know me, right? I, I started a podcast because <laughs> I got questions. So I start, I'm like, how does this work? What does this do? What, do I sit here? Can I sit anywhere? Like, um, and I'm like, do I tell you or you tell me? Like, who's in charge? And I'm at so many questions. She, she literally asked me if I'm a cop because <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just a curious guy. So that's my experience back there. I just use it as an interview, an unrecorded podcast, basically. And then our buddy, the dad finally comes out. We're all done. We all just like 15 minutes, $75 later. We're like, I, I don't know what the hell just happened. I'm, I, I spent all my money and he comes out and we're like, dude, what, 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 what happened back there? And he told us two things. So we go, we asked him two questions. We said, where did you go for so long? And how did you have the confidence to do that? And the second was, why'd you pick her? Cause she was like, not, she was like, you know, she was not the best looking, you know, uh, in the bunch. <laughs> and so he goes, oh, I just asked her for a tour. And so she gave me a tour of the whole building. He's like, oh, we didn't do a lap dance. No, no way. And I was like, oh, you, tr we thought you were doing something cool. And then we all got peer pressured. And it turns out we were wrong. Second, we were like, why'd you pick her? He goes, oh, I didn't know you get to choose. He goes, I thought it's like Harry Potter. Like the wand chooses the wizard. <laughs> that was like the epic line. And so forever, we've just always said that the wand chooses the wizard whenever you end up making a bad decision. That's hilarious. I actually lied. I, I I didn't remember the first time I went to a strip club. It was Neville Medora. My buddy in that, in Texas was taking me to my Thursday 6 p.m. flight. And he goes, let's actually go at two. I want to we let's go out to eat. I go, uh, all right, cool. He goes, I got I got the perfect place in mind. And so he takes me to a strip club next to the Austin, Texas airport called the Landing Strip at three o'clock uh, on a Thursday. And we get there and I'm like, what? Uh, what do we do? And I remember, and he's like, well, let's just get lunch or something. And so I ordered like chicken fingers and fries. And the lady comes up to me uh, as I'm sitting down and like puts my, like her hand on my shoulders. Like, Hey, you need anything? And I was like, uh, yeah, like ketchup. some ketchup, some ketchup would be nice. <laughs> and, and she like, is like all like defeated and brings the ketchup. And, and I remember texting my girlfriend at the time, now wife. And I was like, Hey, Sarah, I'm at a strip club. We're just getting lunch. Do I like tip them extra because i didn't all i did was ate lunch and it's only six dollars <laughs> like what do we do um it was same thing incredibly awkward situation very uncomfortable but i care i read it i read about this company and i thought how interesting and this guy his name's eric he um the ceo of the company it's called um what's it called it's called um rick's uh, it's called Rick's. That's their that's their ticker. It's called the, RCI the Hospitality is, Holdings. The CEO is pretty present on um, on social media. His his Twitter handle, I think, is Rick's CEO. And um, and so, you know, he's he's pretty active. And I think the other thing that's interesting is uh, like we were going to do this for the Milk Road because strippers know a recession is coming before anybody. And so we were going to send <laughs> our writer to talk about like, Hey, what's going on in the markets? I was like, Oh, just go to a strip club and just ask the strippers. They'll tell you like, we'll be one week ahead of the news. <laughs> and he's like, what? I was like, yeah, they know like the tips. They, they understand like what's going on. They know the psychology and the state, the, the psyche of all men. And then they, they know where they're at financially as well. Dude. Well, he does his earnings call on Twitter. Uh, one time he did it and the host was liquidity, that Twitter guy. And he, he does his or, and like Elon. I don't know, but e Elon Musk was like at, was sat through one of the earnings calls, 
and it's incredibly interesting. He's also trying to. They're also coming out with a uh, like a new like OnlyFans thing called Admire Me, which is like an OnlyFans but for their dancers. He calls them entertainers, and so like if you're an entertainer at the strip club, you know you can uh, like create a, sol- a small side hustle with your clients. And right. I just thought this was like. I was like, well, this this is like a pretty fascinating, uh, pretty fascinating business. I never heard of. I never in a million years thought a strip club conglomerate would be publicly traded, and pretty fascinating, pretty fascinating company. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I don't have much to add. The sort of Juan chooses the wizard was my, the ending of my knowledge about <laughs> strip clubs. I, at that point, I, I, I retired from the game. Um, By the way, are are you doing something for Black Friday? Like for your, <laughs> like your with my family? <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you like selling discounts and stuff? What as an yeah. e-commerce owner? What's your opinion on Black Friday? So I I think I'm doing it wrong because everybody else is like Black Friday, Black Friday, biggest time of the year. People are sending memes in the group chat. That's like. Uh, like, you know, the 300, the Spartans when they're charging and they're like, we're ready. We're ready for Black Friday. And for two years in a row, Black Friday has been, you know, a big disappointment. And um, the reason why I think, I guess like people think about Black Friday, it should be. What it should be is like basically November should be double your other sales months. So you should kind of get a 2X. With that 2X, you're going to have a lot of profit. So like that's I think that's why they call it Black Friday because you end up in the black. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but like yeah, that's somebody told me that. Did you just make that up? You generate a lot of your profit for the year during this kind of like this this last push of the year. This is how you go from the red to the black, and um, and I think it requires you know a large like you know repeat customer base. So Black Friday is basically an excuse. It's a sort of a trick in the mind of a consumer that like it's a license to spend when you didn't even need to spend, and. so you get a lot of returning customers coming back. So without having to do more marketing necessarily, you're going to get them back. But you're also steeply discounting. Then if you're marketing at all, like you're, you have your marketing spend, you have your discount spend. So I'm like, where where is all this profit that other people speak of? Hasn't worked for us. We've had way bigger months outside of November both years. Uh, this this year's doing good, but like, I don't know. I don't, I don't get all the fusses about. I, I like it more as a consumer than I do as an e-com store owner. Um, but then again... I might just be a crappy operator and there might just be like a better way to do it, but I'm doing do all buy the things th- that are like the best practice thing. You, you know, you, I'm sending an email every like 42 minutes. It's like, you know, that's what you got to do is just keep spamming the hell out of everybody. Discount the things like crazy and, um, you know, hope and pray people show up. Do you buy stuff as a consumer for black Pro- Friday? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I shop, you know, uh, that brand 32 heat or 32 cool, the like Costco, no. Costco performance wear brand. No, but that's awesome. You must know these guys. Uh, basically, there's like a, I think it's, I don't know if they're made by Costco or they're sold in Costco, but it's called 32 Degrees is the name of the brand. And so they make like, you know, like a Under Armour, Lululemon style thing, but like the cheap version. But on Black oh, Friday, sick. these guys have had the most ridiculous sale. Like you'll just get a shirt for $4 or $6. That's normally like, you know, $30. So it's like, 80% off. They just move, they just try to move all their inventory during this part of the year. And so for the last couple of years, I have dropped like $500 and bought like an ungod, like huge boxes arrive at my house, like it's furniture. And inside is just 32 degree stuff that I just give out to my whole family and I wear, you know, throughout the year. But uh, that's the only thing I did on Black Friday. And then sometimes I'll go scroll Amazon and see what they got. 
Dude, I think we need to boycott Black Friday. Black Friday is the worst. I think it's just we are people buy. you know, George Carlin said this funny thing. He's got this whole like skit, it's a famous comedian on on stuff. And he's like, a house is just basically a pile of stuff with a cover on it. And you buy a second house is really just so you can store more crap. You can store more stuff. I, I am so anti-stuff at this point in my life. I don't want to buy more stuff. And we need to get like all MFM listeners to just boycott Black Friday. I hate these, this idea of buying stuff that you don't really need that just you, then you got to go and pay more money. You know what's the worst? The biggest kick in the ass is when you got to pay money to have someone come and throw away the boxes of all the stuff that you bought <laughs> off Amazon. That is the worst feeling. I cannot stand that. And I refuse to do it. Now I have a trash can that's a metal trash can that I just burn it all. I hate buying more stuff. I cannot stand all this stuff that we buy on Black Friday, and I refuse to do it. And I think we got to get everyone to, to not do, do you it. Actually, burn your trash. Yeah, yeah. I have I have videos of me doing it because Sarah Sarah like has this like funny meme that she shares with our family. It's like you know, no matter what happens, we can't. We're never going to change them. But uh, dude, I'm not paying money to throw away Amazon boxes. I refuse to do that. That's crap. Yeah, I paid like $600 to have uh, 1-800-JUNK, like come haul away a bunch of boxes for crap that I bought. So It's the I, worst. I'm not going to do it. Feeling, but um, like this isn't Vietnam. You can't just like go burn your trash. This is not <laughs> India. You can't do that. I, I think legally you can. I think you can. <laughs> you're allowed to have little, you're allowed to have fires in your yard. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Incredible. Um I want to talk to you about uh, Twitter. So, shocker, this, this Twitter thing that's playing out with Elon running Twitter is um, wildly entertaining. And I guess, I guess, like, there's two things I want to say. The first is, you know, before when I heard about Elon Musk and how he did things, um, I admired him, but there was a part of me that felt bad. It's like, man, I'm just a lame duck compared to this guy. Like, this guy's achieving the incredible. This guy is, um, you know, must be just this execution machine. He must be this like strategic genius. And now that I see him running Twitter, I don't feel so bad after all. <laughs> I don't feel the edge has been taken off a little bit. Are um, you up from like if we if there's a scale and all the way to the left is AOC and all the way to the right is just total fanboy? Where do you rank? I'm more towards AOC, but it's not like so black and white. Like uh, right. Obviously, the guy is super smart. Obviously, he is super successful. Obviously, he's done some amazing things and he's built some really amazing products. Those are, I mean, inarguable. Um, I find him corny and I find him to be a virtue signaler. Uh, and sometimes he gets them like crossed, you know, like he gets the signals crossed. He'll be like, you know, um, you know, it'll be like, like uh, yesterday he tweeted something out like there, or he like reinstated Trump and they were like, yo, why don't you reinstate Alex Jones? Alex Jones. Yeah, I saw that. And he was like, he's like, then he like wrote a poem and then the guy was like, what? And then he wrote a poem about like, you know, the ch suffering of children, blah, blah, blah. And then they go, no, but really like by the same logic of why you would reinstate one person, why would you not reinstate, you know, Alex Jones? You know, it, I don't agree with him, but I'm just curious about that policy decision. And he goes, um, you know, um, my first child uh, died in my arms. I felt her last heartbeat and I will never, uh, you know, so I can't, I, I will never uh, allow somebody who, who like used the suffering of children for profit or fame or gain in some way. Right. Um, fair sentiment. Uh, okay, great. Very emotional sentiment. Uh, you know, that's fine. 
but at the same time, constantly be talking about free speech and, and like how, uh, you know, it shouldn't be one person deciding, you know, whatever it's like, well, that's you now deciding, you know, where you're drawing the line off of your random personal experience that traumatic and sad, you know, is a little bit strange. Right. And so like, you know, whether you disagree or agree with Alex Jones is sort of irrelevant. It's just sort of like his virtue signaling about like his like sad experience got crossed on the crossfire with his virtue signaling about how hardcore he is about free speech. He said this himself. I'm hardcore about free speech. I'm hardcore that as long as you're not doing something, as long as you're not like, you know, uh, breaking the law with what you're saying, then you should be allowed to do this. And so like, there's, you know, some things there. Anyways, point is, I think he's obviously really talented. He's probably going to have a, have success with Twitter, but, um, you know, definitely has like, you know, I consider myself to be somewhat impulsive. This guy's like impulsive to the max. And on one hand, I think there's like a, a kind of a brilliant method to his madness of what he's doing. Like he basically came in and just did a hardcore culture reset. He's like, let's just get rid of everybody who's in charge. So day one fired the CF, CEO, CFO, CMO, all of them. Walked him out the door. All right, that's day one. Leaders shot the leaders. You know, they're out. Next, he like basically cut like half the employees. Then he cut another half after that. Um, trying to be like, yo, this is going to be hardcore work environment. And like none of that soft shit anymore. And like, I think ripping the bandit off the way he did while harsh and like, you know, not that graceful, just like doing it via an email saying like, you know, reply hardcore by 3 p.m. or you're out, um, you know, probably could have been a better, better way to do it. But like, Nonetheless, it's very effective and ballsy. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, I like that too. Along with that comes cutting a bunch of the burn down. So trimming a bunch of the fat, making it a more financially healthy thing. But now I'm like, okay, what are the scenarios? Like, how can this, how can this play out? Like, what, what are the different ways that this can go? And like, what's the bet? And so I kind of wrote some of these out. I'll give you my, uh, my three scenarios. Okay, so I'll do them from... And, I, and I'll rank if I agree with which, with each of the three. I'll, I'll rank most likely. So you, you want me to go from worst to best or best to worst? Uh, uh, least funny to most funny. Okay, least funny to most funny. <laughs> least, funny least funny is the, the mid case, the, the base case, the expected case. So he makes Twitter more financially viable, right? He's cut down costs. He um, adds this, you know, $8 a month subscription that, it, you know, uh, let's say he can make it more and more valuable. So people opt in. It makes it a little less dependent on ad revenue. Um, the initial reaction where advertisers pulled out gets like subdued a little bit. People come back to the platform. They realize, OK, he's not, you know, evil um, or going to like, you know, there's not going to be other people impersonating their brand. So they come back. So he, he re resets the culture, resets the cost structure, makes it more viable. Uh, makes it a little more moderate. Like he gets rid of a little of the like the, the, the hardcore left lean. Um, he cleans up some of the bot problem. He gets some like solid wins. Like, oh, you can edit your tweet. You can uh, post long form videos. You can like, you know, just make search better. He, he just improves the product in ways that the power users will appreciate. And the end state is, you know, he gets a kind of a one to two X on his money, um, you know, from where it is today. Like, I don't think... Billion. I don't think this is a likely scenario. This is a very, this is far too reasonable. This is the reasonable scenario. So, yeah. I, I, and, and personally, you know, he gets a kind of a, a win, you know, a moral victory. Uh, you know, it's net positive for the company. Twitter's net positive, you know, moved in a positive direction and financially it wasn't disaster. No, okay. this is like, this is like asking Picasso not to paint or John Lennon not to make music. Like <laughs> it, it just, 
that, that that's just an unreasonable request regardless if it's if it is in fact reasonable for most it is incredibly unreasonable for this human being and no well, I'll, I'll say this he came in and did the hard part where he gutted the fish and he changed the culture and he's going to recruit good talent but he's going but in order to do this he would need to replace himself as ceo within the next six months basically and then that person stewards it from there he did the deep cuts he did the hardcore like shock therapy and then somebody's going to take it from there if this is going to happen um because i don't think he's going to do that over a three-year span you know running a steady ship okay now let's go to the generous scenario the best case scenario what he says he wants to do okay so what he says he wants to do um have you heard his like stated plan like what his like goal is with it i heard where he said he wants to make it like the like the town square. He wants to make it like an everything app and he wants to add video and a bunch of other things like that. Yeah. I think the everything app is the, the, the strategically what he's trying to do. So what he basically looks at WeChat and for those who don't know, WeChat is basically WhatsApp plus YouTube plus bill pay plus Amazon plus like everything rolled into one plus Venmo. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to fathom if you, if you don't use it. It's basically like it's the WeChat is just a connector between people. And then all the things that people do, let's say I want to send you money. I could do that. Let's say I want to message a business. I could do that. Let's say I want to uh, pay my utility bills for the month. I could do that on WeChat. Let's say I want to uh, post a video or watch a video or something like that. I could do that. And so it, uh, WeChat is like this super app. And there's been a lot of people that have been waiting for oh, when, when is this going to happen in the West? And it never happened. Like all these things were siloed into different apps. And there's people who sort of are like, oh, that sucks to have eight different apps. This should just be one app that just does all the things. Everyone nods like, yeah, all in one makes sense. But then the reality is like, go build the all in one app. People aren't just going to ditch. You're not going to be as good at those things that those other apps specialize in. Plus, people aren't just going to change their habits and just ditch eight apps for one because you want them to. So so his idea is to create the super app. Uh, DAUs, you know, daily active users would need to go from like 200 million to a billion. So it becomes like a Facebook, a WhatsApp, a YouTube, it be- Twitter jumps to that, like the big boy table. Because uh, basically right now, Twitter is of like the eight or 10 social networks, which include Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, WhatsApp, Reddit, and a few others. It's the least popular in terms of, uh, users. Correct. And, um, and so, the, you know, best, I, th- I would say the best case scenario, he goes for the super app. Maybe some things go his way, like maybe TikTok gets banned in the U.S. and Twitter quickly grabs short form video, although Facebook and YouTube would probably have something to say about that. But like, you know, maybe they go for that. Um, you know, he he cleans up the bot problem. He improves the ad pr- platform like both me and you have tried to run Twitter ads. It's God awful compared to Facebook. And not I think like it's, it's good. I think like, it's I think the system a, sucks. Like the actual the system does suck. Tool, tool I just. Suck. I just bought Twitter ads yesterday and like I kept getting errors when I was trying to set it up. Uh, So like the tech is bad, but a lot of people are saying that right now because 50 of the top 100 advertisers have pulled back and (laughs) usage is all time high that their CAC is five or 10 times better than it used to be six months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. That's good. Good. But that's not necessarily a sustainable thing or a, that's not a win for Twitter. That is a <laughs> loss for Twitter. That is, yeah. well, no one's using it. They're for advertisers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's not actually like a, a win for them. Yeah, exactly. But let's say he like gets it to be a Facebook level of ad system, um, grows it. You know, he has to figure out something with short form video or something that's more appealing. Like, um, but let's say he does it. And the end state is 
it's now like culturally up there with all the other social, like the big social networks, the, the sort of Facebooks, YouTubes, uh, TikToks of the world. It, you know, he turns the profits around because he's got this lean, leaner team that's doing that. And it's like a 10 X return and he's the goat. Everybody's like, God, this guy did this too. This is like, you know, the next level thing. Now he owns one of the big social platforms. He single-handedly turned that shit around and uh, he did what nobody could do. He did what Jack couldn't do. He did what Ev couldn't do. He did what Dick Costello couldn't do. He did it. And he did it like as his third job side hustle. This guy is the goat. This data is wrong every freaking time. Have you heard of HubSpot? HubSpot is a CRM platform where everything is fully integrated. Whoa, I can see the client's whole history. Calls, support tickets, emails, and here's a task from three days ago I totally missed. HubSpot, grow better. Fairly unreasonable as well. I actually think it's more unreasonable than the first scenario that you gave. <laughs> right? Well, it should be because it's like this like amazing outcome. Um Okay, so now what is the the bad case, the worst case scenarios? I think it's basically like there's this um, super cycle like going downwards, like a downward cycle. So it's it's a lot of what's happening in crypto right now. One thing in crypto blew up and then people who had taken loans to invest in that thing, now their loans, they're defaulted on their loans. So the people who lent them money, they're out of money, they blow up. Then the people who had stored their money with that bank or exchange, now they lose their deposits. And so it's just like daisy chain of bad news, uh, all stemming from a lot of leverage in the system and some a few people being reckless or fraudulent. And so let's say in this case, what it would be is like Tesla stock, I think is down 50% from last year or more. Uh, he's personally lost $100 billion of personal net worth. Um, Tesla stock is not, the more attention he puts on Twitter, people feel like he's taking his eye off the ball. So basically, Overall economy is going down. We had enter a recession. People slow down buying these like really expensive Teslas. Um, Stock is crashing. Um, He still has this interest payment he owes. He owes a billion dollars a year in just debt service on Twitter. And I think Twitter's net profit was less than that. So he can't even currently the profits from Twitter can't even just pay the debt, let alone any profits above debt. And so uh, let's say advertisers keep pulling out on the Twitter side. Uh, the initial spike from Elon's watching Elon's chaos goes away. Um, maybe he even makes some mistakes. Maybe the infra, maybe they they fired too many of the infrastructure people. There's the fail whale. Maybe it gets hacked because the security system is now more vulnerable as they make all these quick impulsive code changes and they fired a bunch of longtime engineers. And so you get maybe hacks, maybe leaks, DMs get leaked, maybe... Um, uh, if maybe the, it, the, the site's just going down. Meanwhile, Tesla stock's going down. Meanwhile, he owes all this debt. Um, if all this starts to happen, basically like a financial sort of like cave-in occurs. And, you know, Elon ends up, uh, and, and he's getting sued by ex-employees. He's getting sued by advertisers who said, hey, our brand got damaged because you verified some fake account for $8 that then said, you know, we don't like Jewish people or whatever, right? Like, you know, that's, so he's getting sued on all ends and Elon ends up, you know, fat and broke, right? So that's the like worst case scenario on that side. React to that one. So, you know, you and I both watch UFC and boxing and stuff like that. And there's this like famous sentiment that says like, basically all, all, nearly all champions, they leave the career on their back. Meaning 
Uh, if you don't get out on top, which only a few people have, Khabib, Mayweather, George St. Pierre, only a few people have these. Guys, if, if you don't follow that, these those were like the best people and they all quit when they were uh, winning. If you don't leave at the top, which very few people do, you get knocked out and with an injury that devastates your life and you end up like Muhammad Ali and you can't talk. And I think that that is the same. What, what What's true in boxing and UFC is also true for business. And if we look at history, that tends to be the case of people who keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Inevitably, you're going to lose uh, at one point. But the bigger you get, if you keep taking these really big, like bet the farm type of risks, you're just going to you're, you're, you're going to lose more and more and more. And I think that there's some examples of like a um, Jeff Bezos saying like, all right, this is this this fucking worked. You know, I got to pass on the torch. I don't think a, a guy like Elon has the ego control in order to do it. And I think that what you are saying for this final scenario is more likely to happen than the other two. I don't think he's going to be able to hand over the reins. And I think that potentially this will be a I don't the the phrase isn't career ending, but like a uh, maybe like a power ending move or or something like that. Right. A fall from grace. Yeah, fall um, from grace. I, I think that could definitely could happen. I, I I think that even, you know, you think about a guy who's worth a hundred billion or whatever he was worth, and you think like, well, there's no way a person like that can blow that. And I actually think that regardless of the fortune size, you can blow it. And buying a fifty billion dollar <laughs> asset that isn't quite working wonderfully is a really good way to blow it. And I think that I think that that that, that could be the case here. But I don't think he'll admit because he's just like he's 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 crazy. I don't think he can admit admit a lot of like weakness or fault yeah his core assets tesla and spacex are like high risk like assets they're not like um these you know it's not whatever the railroad company that's just like steadily a steady utility company that's just gonna you know print you know cash and growth two percent a year uh you know these are these are these are themselves pretty volatile assets that the market has really pumped up and as the market has turned, like those are going downwards for sure. Now, how fast and how hardcore and, you know, if he keeps selling Tesla stock in order to keep t Twitter alive, it's going to be like Elon's distracted. His priority is Twitter. He's selling the stock. And what else is he supposed to do? Where else is he supposed to get money in order to like fund a money burning business like Twitter? And so, um, so I think, you know, there are some downside scenarios. Do I, do I think he ends up broke? No, I think the guy no, will never be no, broke. No, no. Uh, yeah. Do I think that he goes from where he was richest man in the world and probably considered the greatest entrepreneur in the world to two years from now, Twitter ends up as a disaster, maybe bankrupt or sold, takes a, you know, $20 billion loss there. Plus Tesla stock in the meantime has, has lost him maybe another hundred billion dollars or more. And he's no longer the richest man in the world. He's no longer seen as this, you know, Iron Man invincible type of dude. He's been hit with lawsuits and me too's. And, uh, you know, news leaks constantly is what I predict is going to happen in the next two years. For it's sure. Like, it's going to be, he went from golden boy to now he's going to be guy who can't do anything right. It's just going to be constant leaks and hit pieces, I think, for the next two years for him. I think the Elon case study is not necessarily how smart a human being is. You know, I think of Elon before and I was like, this guy's a genius. He's amazing. I actually think it's more a case study. It, it is. It, he is intelligent. I think that there are prop there. There's definitely other people as smart as him. I think what this is more so a case study of the capacity to suffer. And what I am, am continually shocked by is his ability to suffer for longer periods of time and to add more suffering 
just you know just like plate. they're just people are just dumping suffering into his it is in his truck and they're just tossing it on there and it's like when is this truck gonna break and i'm shocked it hasn't so far but i believe in like there are everyone has a, a limit and i'm just shocked we haven't hit it yet maybe this is it but it's pretty amazing like if you talk to people about him I do, and, and he'll even he at one point he said death would be a relief to me. Someone was like, "Are you afraid of dying?" He goes, "No, it's a, it'll be a relief." And I think that he just has done a, a decent job of being funny and laughing in in spite of suffering. But I think that he's lonely, and I think that his life sucks. I think he I had I think he lives a generally unpleasant, unhappy, suffering life, and um, that's what he's chosen to do. And there's going to be a limit to it. And I think that this could be that limit. I think that is true of, of all the greats. There are most of the greats, right? They're sort of tortured yeah. souls, uh, you know? Uh, so, so I think that's that's true for a lot of people. Um, one other signal that I think is kind of in his favor or kind of bullish. Do you know this guy, George Hotz or Hotz? Love him. We got to get this guy in the pod. This guy is one of those freaks that I love. He is a total freaking weirdo. And 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 just a, he's, he's a punk rocker. Is what so he is. Expl- uh, tell people his background. And then, I'm, uh, and then I don't know if you've been following what he's doing with Twitter, but I, I'm going to tell so, you that. Years ago, when Sean and I both lived in San Francisco, I think he started out of like a hacker house, didn't he? Where like it was like just a hacker house with a bunch of like computer guys. And he starts building a self-driving, not a self-driving car, but technology that you can add to most cars. And it's called comma.ai, I believe. And he starts a self-driving car and he makes these crazy predictions. And like there's one story of like a journalist coming to see his self-driving car technology. And he's driving throughout San Francisco. And they're like, this is amazing. When did you get this to work? He's like, oh, just this morning. Like he's just like a cow. He's like a cowboy that builds the stuff that is incredibly illegal, uh, unregulated. And he just plows through and he does it anyway, raises all this money. It ends up flaring out and not working out. And he quits and leaves. But he's very outspoken, very opinionated, clearly a smart guy and a kind of a punk rocker in terms of like self-driving cars. He makes fun of all his competitors, including like GE and Ford and all this stuff. And so he's kind of a, a loose cannon, but kind of in a good way, in my opinion. So two things. One, I don't think Kama has, has flamed out. Like, I think it's still going. I don't think it, oh, it has not that. become the winner, but he did resign as CEO, president or whatever. Uh, so the, the company's still alive. But before that, you know, his backstory, I think he was the first guy to jailbreak an iPhone. Um, so, so and I think he jailbroke first, like a Tesla, too, I think. He jailbroke an iPhone. Then he hacked the PlayStation. <laughs> so he hacked Sony, um, which was pretty huge. And then um, and then he was doing something with a Tesla. And I remember at the time there was some story. I, sorry, I don't have this in front of me, but there was some story where Elon basically offered him a job or something like that. Yeah. So Elon offered him, it is what he claims. Elon offered him $12 million minus. So basically he's saying, I'll give you 12 million. Um, or let me explain it differently. He did a demo that showed he had the self-driving car technology and it wasn't using at the time, what was the kind of the core technology for the vision system, which I think was Mobileye. Mobileye was the, the hot company. It's what Tesla was using. George Holtz made a version of that without using Mobileye. And Mobileye was kind of limiting and kind of sucked and kind of expensive. So Tesla wanted to get off it. So he says that Elon made him an offer, which was, I'll give you $12 million for this technology minus 1 million for every month that it takes you to do the task. <laughs> so like if you give it to me today, it's 12 million. If it takes you nine months, just, a, just, just, just a, a pissing match between two uh, uh, people ready to take that, play that game. 
Exactly, exactly. And uh, he's like, if you can create a driving system that replaces Mobileye uh, that Tesla was using at the time, and then uh, they kind of walked that back and whatever, and say, so, and they had, they had basically discussed, yo, do you want to come work, whatever? No. So then he creates Comma.ai, which was, I, the idea was like, yo, you don't need to buy a Tesla that has like self-driving. Like, what about all these other millions and millions of cars that exist? What are they going to do? Just be left in the dust? He's like, no, I'm going to build a retrofit system. So you could put this on a Honda Civic, and install this thing on the top and this thing in the dash, and then it it will be able to be self-driving, right? Like we'll install the cameras and the and the technology so that your car can be retrofitted to be self-driving. That was the dream of that system. So he's this hacker guy, brilliant, brilliant uh, programmer. Also very, very entertaining guy. Like he's sort of like, um, we've talked about Martin Shkreli's live streams where he like looks at stocks and finance and things like that. And then this guy, George, does the same thing. He'll live stream himself, figure things out. So the other day, he he's goes, the real deal, I think. I mean, I think that examples like that, it, you're the real, he's, I, I don't think he's full of it. I think he, I think he's a loose cannon, but I think he's the real deal. Yeah, agreed. So the other day he goes live on, um, on, on Twitter live streaming video and he's like, let's see how Twitter works. Sorry, right, I'm just going to like, I've never looked at the Twitter source code, but like, let's, and I, I'm, I don't work there, so I don't have access, but like, just right click inspect and let's see what they're doing. Okay, so what is this? Okay, this is the login prompt. What if I remove this? And he just starts messing with it. And he's like, so how does this work? And he's like trying to play with it. He's just talking live while he's what doing it. What platform is this on? Uh, so he was doing it on Twitter. He streamed it live on Twitter as the video. Then he goes, he, he does Twitch a lot and things like that. So then he tweets out to Elon. He, uh, he tweets out about the hardcore. Uh, he tweets out Elon's like hardcore email. And he's like, this is great. This is like exactly what it takes to win. And like, you know, people should be jumping on this. And immediately he starts getting backlash. People are like, oh, yeah, you know, so this guy's asking you to work twice as hard for less money and, you know, or, you know for, without giving you extra pay. Like, oh, yeah, we should all just be slaves to this billionaire. And people are like ragging on him in the comments. And he goes, dude, can you imagine the excitement of getting to work on this right now? Like, this is amazing. Screw it. I'll put my money where my mouth is. Hey, Elon, I'll do a 12 week internship. Uh, I'll work for free and um, I want to come help you fix Twitter. And, and he took it. Elon goes, sure, let's talk. And then George goes back, you know, here comes the pissing match. He goes, my number hasn't changed, which is just a hilarious thing to be like, you know, you call me and let's let it be known. <laughs> you have my number. <laughs> that's what he said. He goes, my, that's what his reply he was. Goes, he goes, great. My number hasn't changed. And then, oh my god! And, and then so so he agreed to so he's there now. So he he joined Twitter. He agreed to. Elon gave him the problem. He goes, "You're going to fix Twitter search. You have 12 weeks to do it." And um, so he's publicly trying to fix Twitter search right now, and he's tweeting out every day the shit he's doing. And he agreed to work on this for just the cost of living stipend. He said, "I think he said he makes." Uh, he, he's going to make uh, two, two grand a week, I think is what he said. The cost of living in San Francisco, so eight grand a month. And this is a guy that like is a multimillionaire, basically cannot be hired for a job. He's, a, he's like a, you know, an entrepreneur that could snap his fingers and get funding again. Well, and he's tweeting as he goes. I just saw him tweet something, and the first line was, I don't know if I have the authority to do this, but and then he like said what he wanted to do. And I was like, I'm in. You got me. That's a beautiful first sentence. I, I'm following your journey. And one of the things he did, he goes, all right, I'm trying to fix a search thing, but I need somebody to just, he wanted somebody to do like just a front end design task, which like most programmers, most real programmers aren't good at that stuff. And so he's like, 
I want it to just autocomplete. Like, you know, when I open search, he goes, for some reason, it shows me like just this random follower of my name. He's like, no, it should prompt me on the ways that I can search, like search people, search for hashtags, search for my search within my likes, like show me what the things I could do. He goes, don't send me a resume. Don't tell me it can't be done. Uh, just send me a code snippet that I can plug in and it works. If you, if you do that, you're hired. That's the interview. <laughs> so it's wildly entertaining to watch this guy do it. And I think this is part of the bull case of, well, if Elon can get like real hackers and real people who are like ready, it's kind of like a movie when it's like, oh, the old gunslinger, they go to his house, he's retired, but he agrees to dust off the old boots and get back out there. Like, if like, he hey, can John, get, like, what, if he can assemble, we have a final of, mission for you. Yeah, exactly. Like if he it's can like, assemble, I told you I'm retired. Crew, be like, yo, this is Ocean's Eleven. We're going to go do this shit. It's like a three month gig. Just get off your ass and come do this. It's and, also the, um, bear, the bear case, though, because that sounds great and all when you're just getting something going. It doesn't sound good when I have all types of private stuff in my DMs that I would not want to be public. Uh, you know, I share like intimate things like, you know, like I'll complain about other people or I'll like say like, hey, how are you solving this problem? I can't figure it out. I don't like the fact that people are are doing things this way when there's already 300 million users and there's a lot of like payment information and like intimate information on this right. platform. So I would say it's also a bear case. Yeah. By the way, on that, he so Elon goes, all the messaging should be encrypted. I should, if a gun was to my head, I should not be able to reveal what's in somebody's DMs. So we need to go end to end encryption. And he, he told the employees that. Then he goes, and then I've, same thing. I reached out to the original founder of Signal. He's willing to help us, you know, like think through how to do this, you know, like, uh, like help us implement this end to end encryption quickly. And um, same thing. He's like, you know, basically, like, oh, that guy, that, the guy from who started Signal, he sold, he was the guy from WhatsApp, right? Sold it to Facebook. Um, then regretted it and was like, F this. These guys are like basically screwing with my baby. They're they're reducing the encryption. They're adding an ad. They're mining the data, whatever. Quits out of principle and starts signal a like completely encrypted messaging tool because he like really believes in this. Um, I forget if he was the one who founded it or he was the funder. He was maybe the main main funding source. Yeah, whatever. He was involved. He was involved. He put like 50 million in. Um, but yeah, that's the uh, that's another example of people you know, getting getting kind of like world class people involved. But do you realize somebody's got to go do the work every day for like the next five years? Who are, who's that? Who's that person going to be? The last eight weeks or so have been kind of a gift, gift from God in terms of just like drama. And I'm just chopping at the bit every morning to go and look at my Twitter app or like to go and look at the news. I'm I'm loving this, man. This is a soap opera and I'm on board. I said I was off board originally when uh, Elon was doing Twitter. And now, like with FTX and all this other drama, I'm back. They got me back. Like, this has just been awesome. It's been a dopamine hit, like, every single day, you know? I'm, and I'm fiending. I'm waiting for that next hit every morning. I check it. And so this I'm, has been I'm just a I'm kind of gift. the opposite, dude. I'm going the other way. I uh, I can't resist sometimes. What's that? The the Is it the R. Kelly thing where he's like, my mind's telling me no. He's like, well, my body. My body's saying yes. <laughs> like, that's, the, that's how it feels. Like, my mind is like, this is all a distraction, unrelated to you. Go read a book, go outside, go build something. Go this is the opposite of what you stand for. Go read a book. Have you ever read a book in your life? I you The other day you told me about a book you were reading and I was like, oh, that's great. You, you're like, 
Yeah, I'm only five pages in, though. You literally were telling me about a book that you were reading and how impactful it's been. And then the next sentence was you said that you were five pages in. Do you remember that? It was like about like yoga or some bullshit. It was like quicker the better. (laughs) And now you're telling me to get off Twitter and read a book. I didn't know you read books. I tell other people to do it. When was the last time you read a book from beginning to end? From beginning to end, okay, that is that is a bit of a challenge. I read probably one book a year from beginning to end, and I read probably 10 books from beginning to 35 pages in a year. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, uh, that, and- I, by the way, I think that's the optimal way to read books. <laughs> like I, most books you can get the general principle and if it if it doesn't compel you to finish it you should have no problem putting it down saying i took what i i took what i needed from that and i'm ready for the next you know interesting little nugget or principle because these books are a lot of filler tell me about this this jet thing that you've had on here twice now by the way our and so we have this document it's called mdb master it stands for million dollar brainstorm I don't know if you saw this. It's across 200 pages. So we've Sean and I have this document that every day in the morning we like write our topics. It's 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 50,000 words now and 200 That's pages. We've deleted. We've delete I've deleted a bunch of topics off this. Like once we're done with it, I just delete them. It's pretty wild uh how long this document it is. But you've had this thing in here about jets. What 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 about it? Okay, so um I forgot who was saying this. Maybe Andrew Wilkinson, somebody else. Andrew. He was saying this about um Empty legs. So basically, private jets are obviously really expensive, really awesome. Maybe Have you ever flown private on your own dime? No. Have you I've ever flown, flown private? private on anyone else's dime either? I flew. I flew private a, a couple times. One time, Andrew paid for it. How was it? It was sick. Like <laughs> yeah, like you know, like there's things that like maybe like um, fancy socks and like that's basically it. That's like things that like. It doesn't matter. Just buy the cheap ones. They're just as good as the fancy ones. And then there's things where you spend money and it actually makes a difference. And unfortunately for all the plebs out there, flying private's one of them. Uh, I'm a plebe too, by the way. I don't fly private. It costs too much. But flying private, it is game changing. Yeah. When I did it, I was like, oh, okay, this is awesome. I kind of imagine it to be similar to the strip club experience where I would constantly feel like I need to be doing something to like maximize the opportunity. Like I can just imagine myself standing up and just stretching repeatedly. <laughs> like, I don't know. Am I, is there... Caviar? I don't even like this. Dude, I read, I read a newspaper when I flew when he flew me. I read the Wall Street Journal. I've never read the newspaper in my life, but I picked up the newspaper and I opened it up. I opened it up and just had it, and I and I like flopped it, and like smacked it to like get the crease out of there. That's what I did when I flew private, and it was an amazing experience. Yeah, I feel like I would need to like pick up some new hobbies and like wear leather if I was going to be flying private. So you're going to get into Sudoku. So he tweeted this thing about empty legs. So basically private jets, I think some really high percentage, maybe 25% or 30% of all private jet flights are completely empty. It's just the jet relocating from one place to another in order to be ready for the next flight. And so there's this arbitrage then of empty, empty legs uh, with basically like, Hey, this was going to fly anyways. It's just going to cost, you know, 40 grand to do this flight and it's getting, it's, you know, there's no value. It's just a burn. Could you basically give people the opportunity to hop into these empty legs? And so I found there's a website uh, or there's, there's several, but like there are websites that will let you fly private. You don't need to own the plane. You don't need to sign up for some membership. It's literally just like, hey, if this is going from here to there, if you want to go, 
20 grand and it's like it's it, this is yours you know you you and six people can go on this thing um that's kind of interesting have you seen have you heard about this no but one time i i i have a little bit heard of it and and one time i was like you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna call the airport so there was one time that i needed a flight from nashville to new york and i just called if you just google like your city the city you're in plus executive airport and i remember i called them i go hey can you put me in touch with like a like a broker like a flight broker and they did and i talked to the guy i go hey i need to go to new york in like a few hours tonight is there any pilots that need work and can fly me from Nashville to New York? And there was a guy willing to do it for $6,500. He's like, that's, you know, that's the cheapest we could do for $6,500. And it was like a, like a crazy hack that I didn't think actually worked. And it did. Right. So like right now, uh, in four days from, I'm on uh jetly.com right now, but there's a place in Texas going to Fort Wayne international in Indiana it's going there anyways. And it's just as negotiable, right? <laughs> you can just like, uh, you can go do this or right now, like, uh, let's see, when is this one? This is in two days. So in two days, if you're in Poland and you want to go to Italy, um, you know, $15,000 and you can have this private jet flight. Uh, if you happen to be going there <laughs> and you get the whole plane. Yeah. I think you get the whole plane because it's, it's empty. How many does it seat? Uh, let's see. So you can click. I mean, it could, is it like if it's a small one, it could see, you know, seven people. All right. So this is okay. This one is going from Turterboro. Where is that? Turterboro to West Palm, New Beach. York, New York to Miami, basically. Okay. So New York to Miami. Um, Teterboro. Teterboro. Okay. Uh, let's see. This one seats eight. Eight and how much? This, uh, this, uh, so the one to, to Miami seat six, it's 15 grand. So, you know, basically that's a price of a first class ticket, right? Like for, for a lot of things. Yeah. And class. it'd be a fun ass experience with a bunch of friends. So everyone ponies up two grand. I mean, that'd be, that's a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought this was kind of cool. And another, like, kind of, this is what Airbnb did was like, they took something that was excess capacity and found a way to turn it into like a, uh, to, to fill more of that excess demand. Right. So, do you know, um, do you know Dennis? Dennis Hagstead? Mm-hmm. So he's my good buddy here in Austin. And he, once a week, he goes, hey, I just got a notification, Austin to, and I'll just say like somewhere in Utah, like it's a it's a golf stream. Like, you know, it's normally $100,000. They have it for 20 grand and they could see 10 of us, you and a bunch of friends want to go and do this thing. He does that all the time. And he actually like actually like pounces on them. <laughs> um, okay, so what else we got? You got a couple others. Um life after selling you want to do that all right let's let's this is just an interesting thing so i always read this subreddit called fat fire and it's interesting because you don't know if anything fat fire means uh people who financially independent retired early so people who want to uh do that but fats meaning they want to retire with a lot of money and not work again and that's an interesting sentiment. Like most everyone wants to do that. They go, oh, I would love to retire and, and be rich and not have to work at the age of 30. That sounds cool, right? There's this common theme of people doing that and they get depressed. And that sounds like, oh, boohoo. Like why, you know, fuck those guys, who cares? But it's interesting nonetheless. And there's this really interesting thread that I found. So click where it says follow up. Yep. But the, the reason why this is interesting is like you are seeing such a, such a clear journey that someone is experiencing. And so this person wrote a post where basically about a year ago, they wrote a post saying, 
hey, I sold my company. I made $20 million. Until that day, I, I hadn't sold a single share. I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck, but I was living a normal life. Uh, after the sale, I basically had nothing to do with the company. Um, my wife kept working and she would just basically tell her friends that I was working from home. But in reality, I was just playing video games all day while our kids were at school. And six months later uh, doing this, I am so depressed. I hate my life. I have nothing going on. I'm sad. I need to go see a therapist, yada, yada, yada. He writes another post 10 months later and he goes, hey, this is just a short follow up to the post that I previously wrote. But the crux of it is uh, for this uh, this moment in my life is so good. I love waking up. I love doing uh, what I'm doing all day. And uh, it just I feel like I've got camaraderie. And basically what this guy did was he sold his company, made enough money, was depressed for a little while. And did the exact same thing again, where he went and started another company and he has 10 employees. It's cash flow positive. It's not huge yet, but it's enough to pay for the 10 employees. And I think it could be big. But what I realized was I loved the hunt doing it. And another person said, my number, the amount of money that I made, it wasn't anywhere near yours, but I pulled the trigger and I sold the company. I made a little bit of money and I basically retired and I floated around in my pool all day. I played video games. I read. And after about three to four months, I was miserable. I was so sad. And now, since then, I started a small business. It's never going to be that big, but I basically took one of my hobbies and I turned it into a small business and it has a lot of challenging problems and I've never been happier. And I thought this topic and this these this thread, who knows if it's real, everyone could be exaggerating, but it's incredibly interesting because you get to be a voyeur and see other people's lives where they anonymously say their true feelings. And I thought that this was a really interesting insight that is rarely not uncovered or discussed in such a clear, straightforward way where you see like a very like post one, I'm sad. Post two, I'm not sad. And I thought it was like a really interesting insight. And I went through this not as much with my company. I, I was happy. I took I got some chill time, but I went to the same thing. I'm like, what do you do? What am I supposed to do all the time? Um, and it's actually quite depressing. And it's and it's not a topic discussed because you know, who the fuck wants to talk about a guy who sold his company, doesn't have to work, and now he's sad. But interesting nonetheless, and interesting because a lot of people want to do this, and it's cool to see that it's maybe not all that fulfilling. And basically, particularly type A's who have the ability to do this, you have to have, like, a way to contribute. You know, like, I've talked to, I have a few stay-at-home moms in my life who, like, after their kids went to school, they're like, my life is pointless. You know, like I, I don't contribute to anything. Previously, I, I was contributing to my children's lives. Now they're in school. They don't need me. What the hell am I supposed to do? I'm so sad. And now this is like a really good example of that, but in the business world. So I don't know. What do you think about this? So I literally had a conversation like this yesterday with the guys who were helping set up the studio. They go, uh, you know, I heard they, they were saying, I heard this. And they said, Alex Ramosi said this too. Like he, he's never been as sad as after he sold his company. He was depressed, kind of like uh, either sad or depressed. I, I, don't, I don't know the exact phrase, but basically the same same gist of it. He sold his company and then that was supposed to feel the best, right? But actually felt the worst. They go, what do you think about that? Do you feel that? And I go, no, I feel excited. Like I feel super excited. I'm like, oh, are you joking? Like the anything is possible now, right? Like, uh Sure, I have, you know, a bunch of free time. And if it, if it was always going to be doing nothing, that would be that would feel a little bit that would feel bad for sure. But for me, I'm very, very excited about this period of, oh, I get to figure out what's next. 
and everything is possible and everything seems interesting and I'm open. And the background is, is you had a project that you recently sold. We'll, we'll do a whole pot on it at another point. Now you've got some free time. Yeah. And I've had that before when we sold uh, Bebo the first time and the same thing, like, you know, I've never felt that, but I have heard this now from a bunch of different people. And um, I remember Michael Birch, who's been on the pod and was, was kind of a mentor and investor in, in my company. He, he basically said the same thing, uh, you know, when he sold Bebo for $850 million, you know, next six months were not, not very fun. Like, you know, uh, it was like a huge come down and he's like, you can't even really talk about it because poo hoo, uh, you know, boo hoo, poor billionaire. Like, you know, what, what do, nobody wants to hear it. Um, and I think people take the wrong takeaway from this. I think what people take away is, oh, it's not all that it's cracked up to be to sell. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's not a good thing. Um, I don't think that's the right takeaway because I agree with you. I was happy that I did it and I don't regret it at all. And it was everything plus more that it was cracked up to be. Exactly. I think the real takeaway is that humans need, you know, a, a purpose and a direction where they're going to direct their talents and their energy and their focus it, without that, uh, you will be sad. And so th the question is, and, and sometimes in between things, you won't know exactly what that purpose needs to be. And that figure it out period can feel uncomfortable. Some people get sad in that, that period because they, they are so used to having that purpose. But that isn't like, it's not just sad equals bad. Sometimes it's feeling bad equals discomfort equals being out of your comfort zone equals growth. And so I think the, the, the better signal or the better takeaway is, yeah, when you, when you do realize that, hey, man, I've been filling my time and focus and energy with one thing for so long, I take that away and now I'm going to fill it with something else, something new, something, something that can be exciting. But the period where I don't know what that is, that's a little, that's a little uncomfortable. And I'm going to have to go through that until I could find that thing again. Um, and that's okay. That's part of the process to figure out the right thing rather than just filling it right. Same way that when you break up with, let's say you're in a bad relationship or even an okay relationship, but you break up because you know, it's not the one you want. Uh, you break up. Yeah, it kind of sucks to be alone and single. There is a period of time where that does suck, but that suck is required for you to work on yourself, figure out what you want, make space for the next person. And then when you meet that next person, you it's even better than it was before, but it was, you couldn't skip that single step. If you just never did that, you would never have the better relationship in the second time. So that's kind of my, the way I think about it at least. So I, uh, I'll try to be really tactical here. So I, I've got a, a handful of friends who made uh, enough money that, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty much set and they built these like great companies and they came from nothing and then they sell and then, then they, they want to start something again. And after six months, they're like, oh, this can't ever be big or it's not growing fast enough or it's just too hard. And I'm like, man, like, had you thought that about the thing that got you to where you are? You never would have gotten to where you are like you're kind of being a little punk and you're being soft and you need to like get past that. And I think that that is like a really big challenge that people go through. And the way that I combated that challenge or I, I think I've done a good job of over overcoming that challenge is, first of all, dude, getting that first sale, regardless of what you have, I think is awesome. Like it's addicting and if it's, it gives you that dope, that uh, dopamine high. But second, what I did is I took my lump sum and I invested it. Uh, just like boring 80, 20, you know, stocks and bonds. And then I, well, not entirely 80, 20, cause I do have like some just in like, a, you know, just cash sitting there, but that account I haven't logged into in like a year and a half. Like I just don't log into it and I keep a certain amount of money in my checking account, tens of thousands of dollars. 
And then I have my credit card. And I just assume that my net worth is tens of thousands of dollars. And so if I want something, I've got to go earn. Or I'm like, oh, you know, I would love to go and buy X, Y, and Z. I better make my company work a little bit better. Or, uh, you know, I think about it like that. And that has been a nice little hack that has helped me kind of like, look but like that. Isn't that a little silly though, right? Because it's like, um, then the money is serving you no purpose, no utility. Well, it, it, why'd you uh, want the money so bad if it wasn't going to benefit you? Well, because first the, the cash flow that I make on a monthly basis covers my life and more. So but like, you're saying I you know that you don't even look at that account. No. So the way I have it set up is a certain amount of my cash flow goes to my checking account and that's my spending money. That's the, the account with tens of thousands of dollars. And then once, but once it hits a threshold, it automatically goes to my other account, which is my investment account that I don't log into. Right. And, what I'm saying is, the investment account then is serving you no purpose. It's not improving the quality of your life at all. Right? Well, yeah, yes and no. Yes, in the fact that like when I got my deal done, I wanted a car and I wanted a house. I bought those things. And I didn't really and then I wanted to buy some clothes. I think I bought like two or three thousand dollars or maybe more worth of clothing. And I was like, all right, like that's that's like Pretty much all. I, I don't really want much else. And oh, and I took a trip. I, it was a ten thousand dollar trip to Hawaii. And so collectively, that sum, my car was one hundred and ten thousand dollars. It wasn't like crazy expensive, but it was kind of expensive. Collectively, like I spent that amount of money, like buying the initial things that I wanted. And then after that, I was like, you know, I don't really want more stuff. I don't want more things. And so it served me. But now I don't want more stuff. And if I if, if I do want something extra in the back of my head, I know, look, I could go and get the money to spend it. But I'd rather just go and earn that because that keeps me hungry and it's kind of more exciting and more fun. And I appreciate it more. So in my brain, on one on one hand, I think I only have I'm only worth sixty thousand dollars or seventy thousand dollars because that's what's in my checking account. But in reality, I'm like, yeah, if, when emergencies happen with my family, it's all covered. But I try to just look at that sixty thousand or seventy thousand, and that's all I have. Okay, I like that. That makes sense. But you uh, don't like that. Um, no, I like it. I think it's good. I like using. I do this a lot. I use my own psychology for me rather than against me. <laughs> it's much easier to just understand how your brain works and then use it to your benefit than try to fight the way your brain works and say no brain think differently and react differently to situations. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the same way that. If I publicly go on here and say I'm going to do something, then I know that my brain is going to not want to fail at that because the social pressure is going to make me want to do it. So I just use that to my advantage. I'll go and I'll say, I'm going to do the X and I call my shot because now I know I'm going to use that feeling of social pressure to help me do the thing I want rather than try to talk myself out of caring what other people think. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's a good way to live. I'm, I'm, we're going to do, this is the second time we said it, so we actually have to do it, but we're going to have to do a total pod about like what you're going to do next. But I think that, I think the best thing that people like you uh, and me and people who sell stuff, the best part of the situation is, okay, I have a, I have a little while to breathe and think. No one, very rarely do people get that. They, sometimes they'll get it if they get fired and they get severance. But most people, the average American doesn't get it until they retire, if if they can retire. And even then, it's like, dude, I'm now I'm old and like I don't right. I don't have a lot of income coming in. So it's like, what, what you know, what's the point? But uh, so I think the best part of selling is you have time to reflect and think. The worst part is if it if you do that for too long, you get stale and you're going to I think you have a highly likelihood of being depressed and sad. 
Yeah, the uh, we we've used that phrase before. Work like a lion. I think I think Naval was the one who who came up with this. But like, you know, a lot. It's worth repeating because I think that this is this is what you're describing. A lion will find what it wants. Right, it finds its prey. It sprints. It catches it. Then it feasts and it toasts and it celebrates. You know that 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 feast. Then it relaxes. It sits and it waits. You know, there's a rest period. And then there's a, a, a observing period where it lurks and it waits for the next prey. And so business is the same, right? You had a period and I had a period where we were sprinting to catch the, the, the win. We both caught the win. Then we feasted. We celebrated. We did the, you know, got that out of our system. It's important to enjoy. It's important to learn how to enjoy yeah, totally. the thing. Then you rest and you reassess and you go and you're looking for the next prey. And then for you, you just found your next one and you started sprinting and I'm still in the, I'm in the, uh, the rest and, and, and reassess period. Where I'm and that's what I told you was enjoy that rest though. You, you, yeah. you have to, you do have to enjoy it. And I think you truly do need like a period to, re- to rest and like embrace it, which I know is very hard for you and most people. No, that's easy for me. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I get when other people say that's difficult for them, but like, it sounds to me like a snowflakey thing to be sad about, like not to like minimize your feelings. Like I kind of get it, but no, the same what time, I mean is like, it's like, what's you, your, it's like, what's your perspective? It's like, my perspective is like, dude, I can't like, I'm so happy with how that turned out. Um, that was awesome. The next thing is going to be awesome. And they, this period is a new, it's a different type of season in the same way that, Oh, it's nice in the winter. Cause you kind of bundle up and you, you wear your, your fuzzy socks and you, you sip on your hot cocoa or whatever. It's a different season and that's to be enjoyed for its own purposes. And like, you know, I don't feel bad for myself and that, and therefore I don't want anybody else to feel bad in the same way. Like I think people too easily are willing to feel bad about themselves or feel, feel bad for themselves or to themselves or whatever. Like it's, it's like a form of victimhood, right? Like, um, I understand how it would be easy to think that way, but I do not think that way. I choose not to. Think that way. No, I, I guess what I mean is you have a pattern sometimes of jumping into projects and going all in. And I'm right. like, you know, like maybe just like if you have an idea, just wait like three weeks and then, <laughs> and then, and then do it, you or know, like three play, hours. Just, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like I, you started the milk road over a weekend you like well you're you're all in on one or two other things and then over the weekend you're like i'm doing this and you went all in on it and thankfully it worked but you could see how that could be both an advantage and a disadvantage but that that's kind of the point that i think is is very very sage advice for me uh because it's super easy to start something you can start something in an hour but once you start something and if it's going to do anything it's going to take weeks or months to make it work to get it started and then once it's working now it's years to like, you know, pay it off. Particularly so, you know, a daily email that requires you to do something every single day. Daily <laughs> emails are hard, aren't they? I mean, they're not that hard, but they're, they're challenging. They're, they're unlike other businesses. But even if it wasn't the daily email, I guess either way, starting is so much easier than finishing that right. like, you got to be careful that like, just cause it, it would be easy to get it to try. Uh, it's like the, the test is if I'm going to do something, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-year arc for the, if this is going to be a good, in a good scenario. So right. choose wisely, you know, that those are very, very valuable years of, uh, of prime prime. And the same thing with people taking jobs or anything else. It's like, are you sure you sure you're going to give up like 20% of your prime to that? Or like people who want to wait, uh, I'm going to wait a year before I go do the thing I want. Like, are you sure a year, right? You, you know, how valuable that year is to you. Like this year in your twenties, you know what that's worth? 
Like that's not just like uh, that's not that's not nothing, right? Like a year in your twenties is. I kind of think like you're sort of like 20, 20 to, to kind of like your fifties, basically that 30 year window is, you know, worth like 80% of the time of, of the, of the total time in your life. And so like, you know, each of those years is, uh, is very, very valuable. Do not, do not, uh, do not throw it away doing something you don't want to do. I'm, I'm eager to hear if people like this type of content, but, uh, I think they will, right? What do you think? Yeah, if we, again, if we like it, they'll like it. Who are our customers? The people that love what we do. All right, we should uh, we should wrap it up. <laughs>